Good morning, West Seattle Christian Church. Uh, Pastor Worth here coming at you uh, from the Church Commons this morning, and I'm just going to jump right in. If you would turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, today's message is titled, uh, Shift to Being the Church. Um, and I want to start out by sharing with you one of my passions. Um, first of all, some of you are probably like, oh, he's wearing a hat on Sunday morning service. Well, you know, you know how it gets in quarantine. You can't get a haircut. I think we're going to try and do a haircut. Uh, I'm going to try and cut my own hair with the assistance of my wife, Beth, and we'll see how that goes. And if everything goes well, um, I may be wearing a hat next week and I may not be wearing a hat next week. We'll see. So, um, yeah, it's it's getting a little out of control. So let's start this morning. I want to I want to reveal one of my passions to you. I'm really into um, Tesla. If you haven't figured that out from some of my teachings before, I find uh, very interesting to to watch this super innovative company uh, kind of disrupt uh, a, a field of industry that has been in place for decades. And uh, it's the first uh, new American company that's come to light, American car company, that has um, come to light in a, in a long time, um, decades in fact. And if you're not familiar, Tesla, ha all their cars are all electric, running off batteries. Um, and so there's a lot that, that um, could be said about this positively. Uh, I, I want you to imagine a future where, where there's the very real possibility where some of these companies might not exist. And I am talking about Ford and GM. I was watching a video um, this past week um, from the CEO of Volkswagen, and he was being interviewed and they asked him, who's going to win the new technological car space in the world? Who's going to win that, that race? And, and the quote he said was really interesting. He said, it'll be the company which adopts fastest and is the most innovative who will win the race. But Herbert Deese, when he was asked about that sense of future of the future of the vehicle space being gas powered, he just directly states and says, no, the future will be electric. And that's really clear now is what he said. And then they asked him, is there anything that could hinder the effort to switch people from internal combustion engines to uh, electrification. And he looked at them and he was like, that's an interesting question. And then he just says, no, nothing can hinder the effort. And they said, why? Uh, because he said, electric vehicles are incredibly disruptive technology. People are going to adopt electric vehicles, according to his words, people are gonna adopt electric vehicles like an S-curve. If you're not familiar what an S-curve is, it's where people gradually adopt, adopt, and then it becomes ubiquitous where everybody adopts it. And, and the adoption rate of the new technology looks like an S. And it goes like this. We have seen this with other types of technology. One of the, one of the most uh, uh, easy examples is to talk about an iPhone or a smartphone where nobody was using them. We were using flip phones that you couldn't text on, you couldn't do the internet on or anything like that. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden the adoption rate goes like an S-curve if you're gonna look at it on a graph. There's other examples of this, all right? You know, he, in his example, Herbert D said, this was like, um, you know, when people transitioned from horse and mule to the first automobiles, right? Um, and there's other things that we could use, for examples, like switching from black and white TV to color TV, CDs versus cassette tapes, uh, digital music versus CDs, DVDs versus VHS, and then later on streaming movies versus DVDs, and then mobile phones versus landlines. So I tell you all of this to illustrate how 
over time, our culture shifts and changes. It moves forward at a rapid pace and an increasingly rapid pace uh, as technology improves. And what we see here is that organizations that, that do not innovate, that, that don't continue to be creative and invest their resources in research and development and trying and experimenting with new ideas and new ways of, of uh, uh, they might not change their product, but they need to figure out new ways to, to get that product out there or something like that. Or they might say, our, our product is becoming obsolete and now we need to, we need to innovate a new way forward, okay? Um, the, the organizations, and, it, and this goes for all organizations, if they don't do that, then they start to, they start to dwindle. It's, they, there's a demise coming. And, and my question is, why does this happen? Why do all organizations over time, seemingly all of them struggle with innovating and coming up with new ways? And, and this is important right now. While, while the church can't meet, we can't do the things during this pandemic that we used to do in the same way. And going forward, we may not, we may not be able to do them that same way either. Now, some people might want to say, let's go back to the way we did things. And some of those things we may be able to do. But other things we, we may not be able to do for a very, very long time. And the culture is certainly going to shift in a dramatic way because of everything that we're going through. So for churches, uh, I, this might be, come as a revelation to some of you, but churches don't just happen to be where they are having existed for eternity. West Seattle Christian Church did not exist in the year 1900. Right now, we're like 109 years old, but um, before that, we didn't exist. And we we didn't. We started to exist because somebody said, I think we need to start a new church in this place for the people in this place, for, for this city, for this town. And I think we can do that by doing X, Y, and Z. And they came up and they innovated, they came up with a plan and innovated and experimented and tried to do things in the context of that culture. So they had a beginning. We had a beginning. Someone said, I want to plant a new church so that we can help people understand who Jesus is and how much he has changed our lives. And when they see that, those people who see that change in our lives, they will hopefully be compelled, not coerced, but co uh, compelled into starting this adventure of following Jesus too. So Jesus stepped on the scene uh, 2,000 years ago into a truly barbaric world where power and might were the name of the game. He came in and he disrupted the whole system, the whole social order. Uh, he, how? By loving others enough to be with them to spend time with the lonely, to spend time with the outcast, the stranger, the hungry, the, the crippled, the orphan, the widow. And he gathered those people around him and he taught them how to do the same thing. And then this group of people started following his example. And in just a handful of decades, the Roman world order had gone from burning Christians at the stake to light imperial garden parties at night. Just utter persecution. The Roman world went from that to the emperor himself becoming Christian and millions of people following Jesus just, you know, a few centuries later. So they did this by doing all of the small, seemingly insignificant, simple acts of love and kindness and forgiveness that Jesus modeled for them. And they invited others into their homes and they shared what they had. But then something happened. The church got comfortable. And for the most part, for Western churches anyways, and this is kind of a broad generalization, the church has, has never been uncomfortable since. 
in these Western churches, it's just been very comfy in here. And, and when you get comfortable, your, your focus shifts from what it used to be, which was taking risks and innovating and trying to reach and go. Um, it's, well, it shifts to being comfortable. And this plays out for any organization. If you sit back on your laurels and rest, you get comfortable and you, and you don't innovate anymore. And this is how one day in our culture, uh, a few decades back, everybody, if they wanted to rent a movie, where'd they go? They went to Blockbuster. And then seemingly overnight, they've shifted to Redbox. And then faster than you can say, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, everyone's on Netflix. And, and where is Blockbuster now? It's nowhere. Zero influence. It's gone. This is why uh, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, he said, and this might seem unthinkable right now, um, he said that Amazon is not too big to fail a couple years ago. Uh, the direct quote says this, Amazon is not too big to fail. In fact, I predict one day Amazon will fail. Amazon will go bankrupt. If you look at large companies, their lifespans tend to be 30 plus years, not 100 plus years. That's just amazing to me that he has that insight for his own company that we think is, most people think is just unstoppable, right? And it's the same, uh, same thing for companies like Ford. Most people know the history of Ford and how Henry Ford uh, perfected the assembly line. And we all know that quote, <laughs> he was asked, if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, right? <laughs> but he kept doing what he was doing. And now, now uh, in, the, in the time that we're living, there's a very real possibility that some of these internal combustion engine car companies may go out of business and may be gutted by new, new technologies that are coming forward and who, have, or who are innovating in a completely different and, and extreme way. And what we're talking about here is innovation. I'm not talking about changing what we're about as a church, but how we do it. And this is why the church has been able to not only survive, but thrive throughout history. Um, it, it has rolled with the punches. The church doesn't have a 30 plus year uh, uh, lifespan like uh, Bezos was talking about. We have a 2000 plus year lifespan. It, the church has constantly learned how to reinvent and innovate based on countless and endless shifts in culture, uh, countless and endless shifts in geography and context. So it's interesting to think about where we are now in history during this pandemic and how it forces us to reimagine a lot of ways that we do different tasks like grocery shopping. <laughs> Everybody's had to change how they do that, right? How we spend our time and our money, how we go to school, and even how church is, it has its being right now. Notice that I did not say we have to change how we go to church. We've said this over and over here at West Seattle Christian that we are the church. Church is not a place to go. Church is a group of people together, a people who do, and a people that go together. And that, that definition of church has massive ramifications. How you understand what the church is as a people versus a place or a religious institution, that's life-altering. Whether you've been part of the church for years, or you have come and gone and you've come back again, or whether you're just looking into this Christianity thing and this person of Jesus for the first time, the church is people. The church is a tribe. The, the church is a family. And if you understand it the other way as a place or an institution, then everything becomes about helping the people within the church to do work within the church, which means you get really comfy. It, it mostly means being away from the world and helping others, and, and it becomes helping ourselves. It becomes comfy. 
It, it reminds me of that uh, old illustration of the lighthouse that became a beach club. If you haven't heard this one before, then listen to this. If you have heard it, you can fast forward. <laughs> but um, it goes like this. There was once a lighthouse on, on, the, on the Pacific Northwest coast, I think, as I, as I heard it, as I'm remembering it anyway. And um, what happened was, is this coast was known for shipwrecks happening all the time. And so there was a dedicated, dedicated crew of people at the lighthouse who were always watchful and attentive, especially during storms, to be there when it counted most for people who had been part of a shipwreck. And they would go out and they would save these people and bring them back, nurse them back to health and save them, right? Over time, over time, more and more people wanted to be a part of that life-saving effort. So they came to the lighthouse, but then gradually things began to shift. And they're like, you know, uh, this place needs to be fixed up a little better. Let's make it a little more, more um, pleasing to the eye. Let's add some couches in here. Let's get some better beds. Oh, we need to make the lobby a little bit bigger. We need more space here. And they started fixing things up. And over time, it became more of a clubhouse where they were just they were just meeting their own needs and, um, and, and being together, right? Well, as the story unfolds, a big storm came and it sank a huge ship off the coast. And because uh, they had concentrated on other things, they were ill-equipped to handle the emergency when it came. So if you understand the church as a people with a unique identity, uh, as followers of a brilliantly loving person named Jesus, then your very being and purpose springs forth from that identity. And when that happens, then you get a group of people who go and be with others in the neighborhood, wherever they are at. And that's interesting because when you look at the church of the first century, when the, when the church wasn't even called a church, it was just people following the way of Jesus, it really looks nothing like uh, what most Americans or Seattleites think of when they think of church. So I want to take a minute and read to you what that early church looked like. Last week, we talked about Jesus showing up in the midst of his followers and disciples on the night of his resurrection. Early that morning, he had conquered death and he rose from the grave. He rose from the dead. And then later that night, he's standing in their midst. And in John 20, 21, like we talked about last week, it, there's this really simple line where Jesus says to them, it's one of the first things he says to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You fast forward a little bit in the story, and here's what we see this group of Jesus followers doing. This is, from, this is from Acts 2, verse 42, and it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what I want you to think about when you read this story is that it's really a story of innovation. It's a story of looking at their context and figuring out the situation. It's, a, it's looking around at the way things had always been and then saying, I think there's a new way to do this. It's like looking around at all the internal combustion vehicles and saying, it's time for something new. It's time to go all in on electric. And, and the church, this group of people putting all of their hearts and all of their efforts into imitating this curious person named Jesus, 
all of who they were and, and what they did was wrapped up in teaching those who were already following Jesus to be with people who didn't know about Jesus yet and to love them and then show them how to live this way of Jesus. This is our calling and this is what we are about. Meet together and I know, and, and I know we're restricted in doing this now, but we can still meet. Phone calls, cards, FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, what have you. And I know many of you have have screen fatigue right now, and you're watching this, and, and, and you might have screen fatigue. So you have got to figure out a, a balance that works for you. But I also encourage you to press in to what Jesus has for you in meeting and being meeting with and being the church together in these digital ways. And I want to I want to give you a couple implications from this passage of scripture. Number one. Before the pandemic, you could come on a Sunday and then you could walk away from face-to-face -face contact for the rest of the week and have space if you wanted. And maybe meetings online are allowing uh, a God to bubble up something about yourself within you that you'd maybe you don't maybe you'd rather not deal with with it. Maybe because you were able to walk away from people, you're noticing that you want to walk away from people in this online sense when we have opportunities to get together. And maybe you have some weird sense of guilt about that. But we obviously need space from each other. Yeah, but we also need each other and others need you. Number two, this passage of scripture says that when this group of people met together and, and tried to follow the way of Jesus, they were devoted to teaching and fellowship, eating together and prayer. They were devoted, devoted. It's tempting to just watch an online sermon and worship service and not participate in the other ways that we are gathering for the other reasons I stated before. You don't have to show up and log into everything. That's not what I'm saying. But I will say that you're missing out if you only watch online worship once a week. Uh, that's enough said about that. Number three, our church is innovating during this time of social distancing. Not only so in, in ways that we can be together, uh, but so that we can bless others. The, the passage that we've just looked at talks about this early group selling property and selling possessions to give to everyone in need. And we are certainly doing that. During the time of the first church, the early church in the first few centuries, Caesar would do this thing called bread and circus. And he would come to town and he would throw out loaves of bread to all the people and subjects that they had conquered, which they like to call the Pax Romana. And in the midst of that, that bread and circus, um, this small group of people who were following the way of Jesus, they said, hey, instead of relying on a one-off kind of uh, stimulus check from the emperor, <laughs> just come to our house this week. Come to our house this week and we'll make sure that you're fed and we'll make sure that you're clothed and we'll make sure that your rent is met. Totally unlike today, right? <laughs> but go and watch our announcements from this past week and in coming weeks for on our social media streams and on our website about helping the people who are most in need in our community through the West Seattle Food Bank. Uh, we're gifting our assistance to the West Seattle Food Bank by buying gift cards through West Seattle businesses. So we're helping the businesses and then we're also helping the least of these in our community who, who are most in need of, of help. Uh, and the West Seattle Food Bank has the pulse on that like nobody else. We have figured out a super unique and innovative way to not only help these businesses, but to multiply those gifts dramatically through their through the West Seattle Food Bank's instrument Instruments of Change online auction that's coming on May 9th. It's amazing. 
So let, let me end our time together this week by saying, pay attention to our weekly uh, social media announcements for other ways that you can join our church in innovating ways to love our neighbors so that the same thing can and will be said of us that was said of the early church in Acts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved.